Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry, right here on KOPN 89.5 FM, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. Glad you're with us. Uh, my name is Dick Dalton, and I'm the host uh, each week. We have the pleasure of talking with someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out, which uh, hopefully means that they've uh, done their homework inwardly before they uh, start going out to change the world. <laughs> and we've been fortunate to find a great number of people that are in that uh, process. By the way, if you happen to be one of those, and would like to be a part of this show, just contact the station, leave your name and number for me, and I'll contact you, and uh, we'll talk about having you as the next uh, interviewee on Glocal News in Social Artistry. Well, today, my guest uh, is a new friend from Jefferson City, Missouri, Heather Geek. Uh, I learned of her from a mutual friend, Susan Renner, and uh, Susan said, you need to interview Heather. She's uh, the founder of Healing House and New Beginnings in Jeff City, which I had not heard of before. So this is exciting for me. I'm going to learn a lot today. Uh, welcome, Heather. Glad to have you. Hi, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, am I correct in uh, saying that you are a Jeff Cityan? You grew up here? Yes, I was born and raised in Jefferson City. Oh, wow. Okay. Was that uh, J.C. High School, or did you go through the uh, one of the other high schools? J.C. High School was my school, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I've been here since 1985, and my uh, daughter was part of J.C. High School for um, two years before she transferred up to Columbia. So uh, you have had one of those uh, life stories that most of us uh, have not had, let's put it that way. And I think it's worth you telling your story, if that's uh, okay with you to sort of start out here and introduce yourself as to how, how things went from J.C. High School. <laughs> Is that a fair beginning for you? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, my story started long before uh, Jefferson City High School, but um, I was, you know, born. I was born actually in Columbia, you know, at the at the hospital sure. and here in Jefferson City, and um, you know, I had great grandparents. They were um, uh, kind of what you would call, I kind of don't like to use this term, but they were kind of self-made. Like my grandma and grandpa, um, you know, were farmers and they raised um, their kids pretty much mostly on a farm. Um, they started out really poor. Um, they worked really hard. And my gr grandfather um, ended up being the um, uh, president of ASME Council of 72, the state labor um, hmm. um so council. So in that, you know, they were, 
you know, they had a family of, you know, seven, my aunts and uncles, seven um, kids all together. And my grandma and grandpa just worked really hard. They raised their children. And in that era, you know, um, hard work was necessary on the farm. It was necessary. So they were just great people. Um, if anything, they were, you know, workaholics, but they were trying to raise seven kids. Um, and my grandfather just kind of built himself off of himself, I guess you would say, and, you know, sold one farm and, and, and made money from that. And, you know, he, he didn't believe in credit. So everything he did was through cash. Uh, and eventually, you know, he just kind of raised to the top of the ladder. And my grand grandmother was a wonderful woman. Um, and I'm telling you all this because it, when, when I tell you my story, I just want to give you a, a look behind the scenes of that. Um, but she was a very loving woman. She loved, she loved her family and, um, you know, she catered to them. And my member, you know, my mom and my aunts, really my mom telling me stories about grandma sewing their clothes from feed sacks and flower sacks and all that kind of stuff. So when the farm work was done, my grandma was up to the wee hours uh, caring for her family. So it's really beautiful. Um, somewhere along the way, though, there was a deficiency. Um, and my mother, you know, maybe being raised around seven kids, I don't know. But um and I want to try to say this as gently as possible because I love my mother and, uh, but, but somewhere she had a hole inside of her that she was trying to fill. And by the time I came along, um, you know, she being a mother, um, she wanted to be a good mom, but at some point in time she started using and drinking, um, alcohol and substance whenever I was a little girl. And mm -hmm. I don't really remember anything else from her. Um, and so by the time I was like five years old, um, I was, um, I was drinking, um, from cups that would be, you know, sat down around me. Um, and I don't, I don't think that, um, so I, I'm a, I'm a life that has been changed. Um, I am a person in long-term recovery. Um, I battled with substance use disorder for 35 years and probably I'm going to say 30 of those years because I started actively using alcohol whenever I was five years old. Mm. So I have, um, I probably should have started with this from the beginning, but I am now the founder and executive director of the Healing House and New Beginnings, which is a um, 501c3 Christ-centered recovery ministry for women who suffer from substance use disorder. And what we do at the Healing House is we we receive women who are coming out of jails, treatment centers, prison, off the street, who um, have roots within our Jefferson City area. So we serve the same counties as our local United Way, the surrounding counties of Cole County and Cole County. And uh, I house women for uh, at least a year. And then everything we do is rooted and grounded in Christ. And we teach women, we lead women into relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we teach them how to live. Some of them are learning for the very first time. So in that, I have a, I have a history because I am a life that has been changed. And the reason that I do what I do is because God changed me from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so my sacrifice of love to him 
which is nothing compared to what he's given me, is to serve him by serving women just like me who think that there's no way they could ever be different, who don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, who are broken, and they need a Savior. And my heart is to reach them so that the Father can reach them, so that their hearts can be changed, so that their lives can be changed, so that our communities can be changed. So in all of that, I have a story myself. And that story is that whenever I was five years old, I started... um, drinking alcohol and it was not because um you know i was trying to get drunk at that age of course there just seemed to be a lot of neglect because my mother was also using substance Mm -hmm. and so um when i was somewhere in between around five five and six um i was kept in somebody's constant care after school and during that time um i was um sexually molested And uh, my mom did not recognize the symptoms because she was actively in her own addiction. And so this went on repeatedly day after day after day through this caregiver that uh, I was with after, you know, kindergarten and stuff, why my mother worked. So in that, um, when I picked up the first drink, I was really just looking for something to drink. You know, I wasn't, there were people partying around me. I remember that. And um, I really think I was just thirsty, but I picked up a drink that was on the ground and I took a drink of that drink. So when, when you're violated at such an early age, you just, you don't know why, but you don't even like yourself. I didn't know it was a shame-based identity, but I always felt like there was something wrong with me, that I had done something wrong. I always just felt really yucky on the inside. And so when I took that first drink of alcohol, there was a numbing sensation that happened on the inside of me. And I did not feel that anymore. And so from that point, I was always picking up people's drinks that were set down on the ground. So I really started drinking at a very early age. And, um, and it was just simply, I I know it now is self-medication, but I, kids are real quick to pick up. Okay. I feel yucky. Okay. Now I don't feel yucky anymore. And that what, what, what that, that connection is. And so me picking up those drinks, I no longer had to feel what I was feeling on the inside of me. And so I just started picking up everybody's drinks. Whenever I was eight years old, um, I started seeking out pills. So my, my mom also, um, got prescription pills from a doctor and, um, the friend that she used to always hang around with, her daughter and myself were always left alone together at a very early age. And so whenever I was eight years old, we started seeking out our mom's pills in their drawers while they were out doing other things. And then by the time I was 12, I was drinking alcoholically. Um, by the time I was 14, I had used my first intravenous drug. By the time I was 14, I had gotten my first DWI. By the time I was 15, I was using coke. I was uh, selling drugs to support my own uh, cocaine habit. By the time I was 16, um, I had gotten my next DWI about eight days after I turned 16. So the progressive nature of this disease started really early with me. And before I was out of my teenage years, I was just nothing but a shell of a person. Um, I didn't have 
I, I didn't even have a sense of identity from the time I was a little girl. You know, kids need, they need safety, they need security, they need nurturing, they need discipline. And I was lacking in all of those areas. Um, and I had no sense of self from the time that I can remember. I really just didn't. It's like I, I didn't have an identity um, or I, I, I didn't know my own identity. I, I never developed my own identity. My dad was mostly in prison during my young years, um, sometimes out of prison. My mom and dad were separated whenever I was a baby and they got married, but they, they got divorced not long after that. Uh, I think they got it annulled actually. And my dad was just, you know, the, the nature of this disease is selfishness and self-centeredness. And so my dad was really concerned about his own needs and really not about being a father, which is, you know, pretty prevalent today in today's society. And, um, and so I grew up fatherless and really I grew up motherless because my mom was there, but she wasn't there. And so there are a lot of things and needs that didn't get met within my life that you really need to have met to be a healthy child and to grow up with a sense of self and, you know, just grow up healthy. So in all of that, you know, I, I didn't plan to be a derelict of society. <laughs> I didn't plan. Uh, I had three children of my own. I started having babies whenever I was 19 years old and I had my first daughter and I just remember, um, not bonding with her, you know, and I honestly got pregnant because I was under this idea that if I had a baby, then I would finally have somebody that loved me, you know? And so I had this baby that, you know, I was just not equipped uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally, or physically equipped to take care of her. I did not have anything to give her. I did. I. I didn't know how to be a mother. I was empty. And so, you know, unfortunately, um, I, I, I wasn't a good mother to her. When she was about, my oldest daughter, when she was about three and a half years old, um, she was taken from me. Uh, my mom got sober whenever I was 20 years old. So I was 19 when I had my oldest daughter. I turned 20 the month after I had her. My mom got sober. She... Um, got sober through AA, and then three years into her sobriety, she developed a relationship with the living God. Hmm. And I really believe that her prayers carried me through some of the darkest times in my life. But she ended up, when I went to my first treatment center in 1994, she ended up um, um, taking guardianship of my oldest daughter. And I put myself in that first treatment center, but, um, I stayed there like 90 days. It was McCambridge center up in Columbia yeah. and when they had a 30, 60, 90 day. And I was quite sure when I went there that they would need to keep me 90 days. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they did. And I remember wanting something different, but not really knowing how to get that. And I left that treatment center and, um, I left Jeff city, went to a place that my mom and um, the uh, attorney that she used to get the guardianship, um, really, he felt really sorry for me. And so he said, you know what I'll do? I'll give her a, a job in my law, my law office as a secretary. And they moved me down to Osage County. And I began to try to start a new life over there. 
but I didn't do some key things. You know, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. Um, I, I, I didn't even know to have a church family, but I, I didn't have really a support system down there and very little accountability. And I didn't last very long down there. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, um, one of the roots in my life, um, that I had was uh, a root of rejection and fears of abandonment. And, um, that root always reared its ugly head in the form of me always having to be, I was in bondage to being in relationships. And so because of, um, you know, not having a, a, a father figure in my life and then, you know, the things that were going on with my mom, um, I just always was tied to men. I mean, I was always tied to men from a very young age. Um, I was also raped whenever I was like, 12 years old by my friend's brother. So, you know, you got severe trust issues, you got rejection issues, you've got fear of abandonment issues, you've got all these things. You learn to shut down, you go into survival mode, you're an empty shell, you're really looking for love in all of the wrong places because we, I know now, and, and you know that the only love that's ever going to fill you is the love of the Father. But I didn't know that then. And so I was always looking for love in the area of relationships with men. And it was always falling short. And I would leave feeling even more empty. And then I was always getting into relationships that were physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. Mm. So all these that I already had were compiled one on top of the other. And, um, it just, I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And the, and the more the negative emotions, I felt the pain of my past, I could not stay sober because I, I could not experience. I mean, it was just, um, the emotional and mental torment that I would go through felt like I was going to die underneath of it. I, I didn't have any coping skills. Um, I didn't know the love of a savior. I was empty and it was, I was just a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a mess. So um, I had a, another can, can, dog. Can we, can we take a little pause there, uh, Heather? Uh, yeah. Simply because uh, we're about 20 minutes into the show. And okay. I'd just like to reintroduce you. Uh, this is such a, a moving story of your life. I, I hated to interrupt, but I, I would like uh, listeners to know that this is Heather Geek, um, a woman in Jefferson City, Missouri, grew up in Jeff City, and is the founder of Healing House and New Beginnings, uh, a non-for-profit organization uh, that's been in existence uh, not quite 10 years, if I'm correct. And... She's just been telling us her story of growing up and and the the pains, the hurts, the things that I'm sure some of the listeners are saying, wow, that sounds like me. And I I think you're going to be touching folks uh, today that didn't know that there was somebody that looked like them. And you know how powerful that is when you thought you were the only person in the world that experienced that and to hear someone's story. So uh, uh, without further ado, (laughs) Heather Geek, uh, please continue your story and and touch as many uh, hearts as you can. This is beautiful. 
So I had my second daughter whenever I was, um, I was about 20, 26. Um, and, uh, once again, um, I had this, well, for the first time I had a desire, I wanted to be a good mom and I, and, um, so I kind of got, did all these outward things, got connected with a, a man really wasn't long, uh, with him very long. And I got pregnant again and and I thought that I could create a happy family. And the reality of it is <laughs> I did not have the ability to create that. And um, sick people choose sick people. So he was just as much in his sickness as I was in my sickness. And here I am having another baby thinking that somehow it's going to be different this time only to come to the same conclusions that I did last time. And uh, it did not work out well. And um, my daughter ended up, I went to another treatment center um and ended up with uh, my mom taking care of yet another one of my children and I was not fit to be a parent and so the cycle you know just repeated itself and I just you know I, I kept getting entangled with men kept getting sicker um started using harder substances got into methamphetamine uh started using the methamphetamine and I went from one place to the other. And the next thing you know, I am what the world would call, you know, a needle junkie. So I was using intravenous drugs. And I remember one of the darkest times, and I had been through a lot of dark times up to that place. Um, so now we'll just say to recap, I've got two children in my mother's care, <laughs> two mm -hmm. children that I've had that, that I'm not able to take care of. Mm -hmm. And, and so I pretty much abandoned them. And, and, and continued in this lifestyle and I've become a, a intravenous drug user. And I crossed over every boundary that I set for myself. I'll never do this. And then I would find myself crossing over that boundary. I will never do this. I found myself crossing over that boundary. And here I become really what society would call the dredges of society. And I have become an intravenous drug user. And the, the, one of the darkest times in my life is that when I realized that I was addicted to this substance and that if I did not use, because when you become an intravenous drug user, it's like you cross over this line of lines and you can, you get really sick when you try to come off the substance. And it, it, it I mean, it's a really bad sickness. And so you're no longer using to get high. Now you're just using to feel normal, to be able to, cope to be able to get up to be able to take a shower to be able to just do the regular things that other people do without thinking of it and um but i remember that day because i was so sick and the man that i was with he's like you're not sick you know watch this and we went into town and found some more stuff and as soon as i injected that into my arm i felt normal again and it was like this dark cloud just covered my life and I thought it was the truth. It was a lie, but the thought came to me that day, oh my God, I will have to live the rest of my life just doing whatever I have to do just to feel normal. Mm 
you know, if that means robbing, if it means whatever, whatever I have to do to get that next fix, because, you know, people who are, who are addicted intravenous drugs and just people substance use, you, you, at some point in time, you stop use, or you stop working, you stop. So you're, you're become homeless. You, you know, you're begging on the street. You, you just, all these things happen to you. And I just remember thinking, I'll have to live the rest of my life this way. And now that was a lie straight from the pit of hell but I didn't know I really received that as my truth that day. And I thought I was doomed. And so there was a series of events that happened. And needless to say that that gentleman and I ended up committing a crime together that um, we were both facing 18 years, 85% of that time. So we were charged with um, two crimes, two accounts of armed criminal action first degree robbery first degree burglary unlawful use of a weapon and there was a victim in our crime and uh, i remember sitting in miller county jail trying to count up how old i was going to be 18 years from there how old i was going to how old my children were going to be and i just thought oh my gosh but at the same time i was so relieved that I felt like all that survival stuff, like that was all over. I had wanted to be done, but I could not make myself stop using. And I hated the life that I lived in. And I was at a point where it would have been easier for me to die than to live. And I really felt like I had tried to commit suicide a couple of times. And I really felt like that, that my children, my family, just everybody would be just better off without me. And um, uh, my attempts did not work. And um, I just, you know, but I could not stop doing what I was doing. So when I was arrested, as horrible as everything was, I almost felt a relief, (laughs) you know, and I thought, golly, that part of my life is over. Well, the gentleman that I um, was in relationship with, he, he, he plea bargained me out. I found out I was pregnant with my youngest daughter while I was sitting in Miller County jail. And I had no idea how she even formed in my body because I'm about five foot seven. My normal weight is probably 150, 140 pounds. I was less than a size one wearing my six-year-old's belt. I was so skinny and so sick. And I find out that I'm pregnant and I cannot fathom how a child even formed on the inside of me. So from, from that place, I think, okay, if I get out of this, I am going to do this better. I'm going to do this different, a firm resolve. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. I'm going to change this. And the only thing I can tell you is that if nothing changes, nothing changes inwardly because you can change all the outward things. God gave me grace. I got out of jail. I ended up having to marry this man as a part of a plea bargain. He went to prison, took the majority of that time. I got out. I had this child on the inside of me. I got a job. I did all these outward things, but I didn't do anything inwardly. Once again, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. I didn't develop a relationship with the loving God. I just did a whole bunch of outward things that looked like those were the right things to do, but no inward work was done. And I got out. And I would love to tell you that I didn't use, but I did. <laughs> After I got some things set in order, I ended up using methamphetamine throughout my whole pregnancy. 
And um, I, I went right back to using it intravenously. And only thing I can tell you is by the grace of God, my daughter was born with no birth defects, with no mental thing, with nothing wrong with her. That is God's grace. <laughs> and and um, by all rights, it should have been differently. And it wasn't. And, um, and so anyway, I ended up as a result of my poor choices and inability to stop using, I ended up going to prison at the age of 35. My youngest daughter was 18 months old. Right before that, I had to do some, what they call shock treatment, um, because I kept going in front of the, the PO and I was, um, failing my UAs that they would give me. And finally they said, we're going to put you in front of the judge. And the judge is like, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a shock treatment, 60 days in jail. If you ever come back in front of me again, I'm going to send you to prison. I'm tired. I'm tired of you. And so in that, in that jail cell, I met this woman named Sherry Hall Rivera. I'll never forget her for the rest of my life. God used her as an instrument of grace and love and uh, salvation in my life. And it was there in that Miller County jail cell that I got saved, that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the first word that ever became lied to me, Ephesians 5, 8, for I was once darkness, but now I'm light in the Lord. And that truth penetrated my heart like somebody had a, a straw, like the father had the, a straw sticking into my heart and he blew that truth into me. I had no idea what it meant, but I knew that it was me and I was so joyous. I was like, yeah, you know, and it was so great. But I went back out of that jail, went straight back into the environment that I had been in before. And it wasn't very long that I was doing the exact same things that I had always done. And about six months later, I ended up going on the run, getting caught up, going to prison back in Miller County Jail on my way to prison. My youngest daughter was 18 months old. And I want to tell you what that I never, I've never had more peace than when I, when I went on the run and the police surrounded me and they, they said, we're taking you, we're taking you to jail. And I just thought, finally, it's over. Hallelujah. It, this is over, you know? And so, um, anyway, got to prison and, and I have been saved right in that little jail cell. And I have been baptized in the Holy spirit, but I had not gotten any opportunity to walk it out. I got to prison. I got into the word. The word got into me through the Holy spirit. My heart began to change. My thinking began to change. My life began to change. Everything about me began to change. The word had become my strong foundation. I developed this beautiful relationship with first. It was God. Then he became my father. And then they, he started healing me of my deepest wounds of the, 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 the trauma, sexual trauma of the physical and emotional trauma. He became my papa that we developed this intimate relationship. It was beautiful. I spent three years in prison. That was the best three years of my life up until that point in time. It was magnificent. I took advantage of everything that prison had to offer. And I got uh, involved with this uh, man. His name was Mr. K. He was a Christian counselor there. And he helped me find a place to go to after prison because I realized that going home was not going to be an option. And so I went to um, to a place called Church Army Branson in Branson, Missouri. It's a faith-based recovery program down in Branson. 
I went there. It was there that I got my first sense of belonging that I had ever had in my entire life around people just like me. But I was in a strange place, but I knew that I was right where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I stayed three years down in church army. I learned uh, to work the steps and, and not only work them, but allow them to be an integral part of my life. I had a foundation in the word of God. I had a, a, a relationship with the living God. The Holy Spirit had become my guide. And I um, commenced that program after a year. I stayed two more years as a, a women's uh, house manager, mentoring women, facilitating classes, becoming a part of that recovery community. And it was the next best three years of my life. And then God called me to come home to Jefferson city. And when he called me to come home, I just want to tell you, I thought, get behind me, Satan. I am not going back to Jeff city. Because <laughs> back here, I was the same, you know, my reputation still stood as the drug addict and the this and the that and all the stuff, you know, and I had developed this, you know, my, my identity had become down there as this, the woman of God and a leader in that recovery community. And I thought, I am not going back to send me anywhere. You know, I'll go anywhere, you know, I'll go to wherever, help them start another church army, or I'll go here, wherever you want to send me, God, just don't send me back there. And uh, he has always taken me back to the Old Testament for all of my direction and stuff and correction. And so uh, he got me back there with Abraham. And I was like, okay, okay, if you do, I'll go back, you know, and I came back to Jeff City, October, I was in prison from um, uh, April of really county jail and then prison, April of 2006 to 2009, February of 2009, I got out. And then I was in church army from the end of February of 2009 until October, the middle of October, 2011, that came home to Jefferson city. And then, um, I was home for a couple months and January of 2012, the Lord birthed the vision for the healing house and new beginnings in my heart. And I began to write down the plan and the vision that he imparted to me. And I began to work on what he called me to work on. And it's, 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 it was magnificent. He called me to go back to school. I went to college, um, started summer school in 2012. I started a jail ministry. I started um, a high school ministry talking to troubled teens on a quarterly basis, and he just kept taking me each step of the way. And then he, he got me connected with some beautiful people, a beautiful church, House of Prayer Church here in Jefferson City. And that pastor, Pastor James and Doreen Jackson, they had actually known me because my mom had went to their church and they had been praying for me for a long time. And anyway, I connected with them. Pastor began to just kind of throw me a piece and say, you might want to think about this and the strategic planning of healing house. And I'd come back and I'd say, I got that part done. And he'd say, you might want to think about this before I knew it. We were ready to form a board. The next thing we were getting our 501 C three. I mean, it's just been a beautiful step-by-step process and God bringing along strategically men and women along the way who didn't know me, but saw him in me, believed in the vision he put in me and came alongside of me to help me make the vision real. And so in 2015, we opened up our first women's house and now we've got three houses and it's just been really beautiful. And really God did for me, the father did for me what I could not do for myself. It's just been magnificent. 
somewhere I read in the News Tribune or or maybe on your website that you actually were able to buy your first house. How did that happen? Well, one of the things that the father worked with me on very at the very last part of my stay in prison, um, you know, I came across the scripture and scripture has such a depth of meaning. So, you know, you get one meaning out of it, you can go to a deeper level, but it said, oh, no man, anything but love. And I started thinking about the debt that I had accrued, you know, credit cards, different things like that. And I had had a, um, a year of business college. Um, one of my things my grandma tried to do while she was still here on this earth is she saw the direction my life was headed. And so she paid off a bunch of things for me so that I could go to business college so I could at least get like um, administrative assistant degree and, and begin some work somewhere. And I went and I did that, but I never did anything with it. And so I had this outstanding, you know, $3,000 bill from a, a nine month program that I did. And so um, that was one of the first things that the Lord put on my heart is to start cleaning that up mm-hmm. when I got out of prison and it was toward the last of my stay. And I thought, well, why on God's green earth would I start with a, a student loan? I could think of a bunch of other, I had back child support built up. I had all kinds of other stuff and, um, the Lord put it in my heart. So I thought, okay, when I, I got to go home or to my mom's house for a 24 hour period before getting, um, go showing up down at church army. And when I walked into her door, she said, honey, I have one piece of mail for you. Guess what it was? It was a bill from the department of education. I thought, okay, okay, Papa, I'll start paying off (laughs) that first. And so when I got to church army, one of the key things that he led me into was getting my credit completely cleaned up. And for, I'm not kidding you for a period of three years, I just took my credit you know, you get Equifax, TransUnion, and there's another one. I got all those, made a little list, start paying those off, you know, the student loan first, but paying off everything from the least to the greatest. And in a three-year period, I had gotten all that stuff and, and I did it diligently. He first taught me to tie. That was the first most thing. Then I began to pay off those bills. And then by the time I came back to Jeff City, um, I had uh, done some other things to build up my credit and the father had extended his grace once again. And I was able to get a loan all by myself with no co-signer and able to buy the property that he told me was the property for the healing house and new beginnings. And that's a whole nother story in itself. Yeah. So is that property still uh, part of the healing house on West Main Street? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And two more properties came along? Yeah, two more properties. Now, oh, the, organ- wow. mm-hmm. the organization bought one of those other properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one is um, a beautiful woman who is my sister in Christ, but she also has worked as a volunteer for the Healing House, doing our QuickBooks and our um, just everything, case management for the women and and. Um, all kinds of other stuff, our newsletter. She um, actually, a couple years ago, decided that she would open up her house and she would live with these women and she helped us start a third house. And now she's moved on to be with her daughter um, in, I think it's Kentucky she went to. And so she has uh, graciously allowed us to just continue to lease her house and has left it in our care. So that's beautiful. So we've got one house that I own mm-hmm. and one house that the healing house owns and then one house that we lease. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, what a story. Uh, let me uh, pause once again, Heather, and uh, reintroduce you to the audience. 
Uh, Folks, uh, this is Dick Dalton on Glocal News and Social Artistry right here at uh, KOPN, your community radio station, 89.5 FM. Uh, This show streams on Monday afternoons from 5 to 6. If you uh, are listening live, hey, you know that, but uh, some of you are actually listening because uh, you're listening to the podcast. And you can find uh, previous shows at uh, kopn.org slash programs and look for Glocal News and Social Artistry. You can see the last uh, 25 or so programs. Also, I have a a page on Facebook or whatever that new name is. uh, And you can go to Glocal News and Social Artistry there and see uh, nearly four years of uh, guests Uh, and links to their podcasts. So uh, look us up. If you want to be a guest yourself or know somebody that should be, contact the station and uh, let them know. Uh, I'll be able to contact you uh, when you leave your phone number or email. That would be great. My guest today is Heather Geek uh, from Jefferson City. What a powerful story we've heard already. Uh, And now we're, we're ready to hear about the work of Healing House and New Beginnings, uh, the the folks that have been drawn in, uh, the process, the uh, successes, and uh, why we have commencements instead of graduation and, and various things. So uh, I'm just going to turn it back over to Heather Geek and say uh, I'm so grateful to have you as a guest today. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, how we get those tingles up and down. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear your story, and I hope there are folks out there listening carefully because uh, whatever uh, their pains might be, uh, there are ways to uh, find help. So here's one way right here. Heather Geek, carry on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so one of the things that I want to say in the beginning, um, I did pretty much everything myself. So I was the house manager executive director, transportation person, case management. I mean, I just really did it all myself and to facilitate the classes. And then what happened is that God be, uh, took a few years, but God began to give me some leaders and those leaders came up from within the ministry. And so I've got two beautiful women of God who actually came to me, one out of prison and one out of jail. And, um, they ha- are, um, Trisha Roberts, she's our program coordinator, and she came out of prison, and during her first year, she just wanted to spend her one day off helping me in the office, and I said, honey, I can't let you do that, and she said, no, I, I want to do that for you, Heather, because you're working all the time. I want to see what I can do to lighten your load. Anyway, she came in, started helping me. And I, she was doing such a beautiful job and her heart was so into it. Next thing you know, we're working her into a part-time job with the healing house. Next thing you know, she's got a full-time position. Mm-hmm. And I got another beautiful um, young woman that came to us out of Cole County Jail. And she, this year, she's been working for us part-time as of, you know, earlier in this year. But uh, in 2022, she's going to become, so we'll have three full-time employees. And these women have come up through the program. They have develop a relationship with the living God. They are walking out uh, the spiritual principles um, and they are, God is doing for them what they could not do for themselves. And so it's really beautiful that God is producing leaders Mm -hmm. from the light of his love 
healing these beautiful women's hearts. And now they want to give back what's been so graciously given to them. Mm-hmm. So in that I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of good help now. And, um, they have a heart for women just like us because they are one of me. And so, um, in that, uh, in that, um, uh, we have we have commencement, so we like to celebrate these beautiful women's lives. Um, we have classes during the week: spirituality, life skills, recovery, church on the weekends. Uh, we have ministry assignments, um, teachings that we listen to, all geared at a heart change that will lead to a life change that hopefully will lead to a community change. Mm-hmm. And in all of that, we have commencements to celebrate these women as they are moving forward um, through their first year. And we use the term commencement because graduation suggests an end of something, but commencement is about going forward. Mm-hmm. And so it's what they're doing is just really following through and it's a new beginning or a new chapter and say they're to carry forth what they've learned in that first year into their second year of, of their new beginning of life. Some of them choose to stay past um, past the first year. And I will tell you honestly that I firmly believe that everybody needs 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a year is a good beginning, but a lot of women are coming in so broken that you got to really get through a lot of stuff to get them started. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's 90 days before they get started. Sometimes it's even a little longer, depending on the trauma that they have experienced Mm -hmm. in their life for their walls to come down because there can be no growth. As long as the walls are up, Mm -hmm. there can be no healing as long as the walls are up. So anyway, uh, 18 to 24 months is the key, but after a year, we do have a commencement ceremony, and it's a beautiful, really beautiful time of celebrating the achievements of that year, celebrating the person, celebrating the victory of Christ uh, in their life. So we just, I don't know, we love them, we mm-hmm. celebrate them, teach them, lead them, guide them. Uh, we ourselves, I think, probably grow just as much as the residents do Mm -hmm. um because every time you give back you get to heal a little bit more in your own life so it's all reciprocal in nature 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 which is pretty much what the kingdom of god is i mean it's reciprocal (laughs) so you know uh it's just really beautiful and god has truly done for us what we could not do for ourselves along the way we've had um beautiful partners the united way we've gotten several one-time grants from the united way um we were able to uh, purchase a um, transportation van. We were we were able to in the beginning purchase one of those um, portable buildings so we could have an office because we used to have an office right out back of the house. Mm. Um, we've just been able to do some things this year. We got a United Way grant. We've got a um, so we've started a single mothers program because what we're realizing is that women are coming in and. They get, you know, six months sobriety or something like that. DFS, because a lot of our women have children in DFS custody. Um, DFS thinks, okay, well, that's great. It's time to start working on you getting your kids back then. And a lot of times they're kind of been in the system too long already. So it's kind of like a rush, rush deal. And our women are not prepared to get their children back. But they feel like they have to hurry up and get this done because they're, they've already lost enough and they don't want to end up losing and they're missing it and 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 they're 
because of the pressures of that, they're going back out there and they're using and da 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 because they haven't, they're not prepared for that. So what we want to do, we started a kind of like a pilot program. It's called Jockabed's House. And Becky, which is our newest employee and our, one of our daughters that have been with us for about two years now, she has two children that she got back from DFS custody and she did it you know, within the year of her commencement and then got them back. And then she stayed within the program and we're going to work with these ladies. Becky's going to be their, you know, person who advocates on their behalf, who goes to court with them, who expresses the need for a little bit longer time for the mother to be able to get a solid foundation underneath of her and kind of works and advocates on the mama's behalf because a lot of times the mamas have lost their voice, you know? So in all of that, uh, we have a house and the United Way helped us with that, too, because um, we wanted to have a, a play area, safe play area for the kids and just a lot of things that we needed. So we were able to get another one time grant that provided the means to be able to get us set up. So we have Jacobed's house and uh, it is a house that we put most of our single moms at so that they can begin working on that relationship slowly to the process of reconciliation with their kids. And in that, we have an increased vision, a vision that God's given us to go forward. And that is a land. And I kind of imagine it like as a KOA campground. So everybody works. Everybody works within the community. We give back by volunteering in our community at community events. So we want everybody working everybody learning to be self-sustainable, everybody getting their debts paid off, you know, everybody giving back to their community. And this land, which will be called Jacobed's Promise, will kind of serve as a place for our single women and our mothers with children so that the mamas who have been given this great opportunity, yet challenging opportunity to get their children back, won't have to do it by themselves and will have a place for the moms and the kids to be. And the single women will get back and so into their own motherhoods by helping these women so that the classes, the mamas can still get to the classes and all those things that, um, you know, just become necessary. Um, when a mom gets her children back, what happens if it's too soon? They're forced to get their own place. They need to have this A, B, and C done. Get your own place. The kids need to have a bedroom. You need to have a job. All these things need to be in place. And then what happens is they've got, you know, usually low-paying jobs in the beginning. So usually no family supports. And so here they are. Now they're going to work and they got their kids, but they can't get to the classes. So they're they're not building on their spirituality, their relationship. They're not getting their recovery support needs met. They're stressed out because they're still learning how to live a sober life. And now they've got the demand of motherhood on them and the financial pressures and they cave in. And Jacobed's promise, we want to have some of these things kind of taken care of and have supports there for these women so that some of these things, these pressures are alleviated and they have a community of people there to help them walk through these by being a support and um so we're that's our next part of the vision <laughs> wow yeah. well community is really another key i mean yeah it's wonderful to have a personal relationship with your your lord but if you don't have a community of support and and continued uh, juicing each other and, and building up each other it 
it's really, really, really tough. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, your your whole uh, process is just uh, right on, isn't it? Uh, Twelve step, isn't that part of your? Uh, you you use the twelve step program in your uh, recovery? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was straight out of the big book. Whenever I was in Church Army Branson, Steve Vaughn uh, was the director back then, and he also um, developed a common solution recovery program. So it goes it's goes right with the twelve steps, and it's a live presentation of the twelve steps. And in that, you can share your experience, but you go through the cycle of addiction. And this presentation really makes it real and clear and understandable, and has life application to it. And so that's one of the things that we use here uh, at, at, at the Healing House. Yeah. So is that a uh, an online kind of uh, thing that you tap into, or is this uh, something that you each have been trained to then uh, bring forward to your, your women? Yeah, it's a class that I learned to facilitate down in Church mm-hmm. Army, and then mm-hmm. as um, as a result of that, I, I added it to the healing house and new beginnings ministry. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we have classes. One of them is a recovery based class. One of them is a spiritual spirituality class. And the other one is um, where they have the opportunity, a choice to go to an outside meeting, whether it's celebrate recovery or AA, whatever the case may be and then church on Sundays. But our main recovery class is what we call program action, but it's a live presentation of these 12 steps. And we do, right here in our center we have a center now that's got our offices a classroom space you know closed donation space uh, a room for our kids to play in when the mamas have kids so yep and how do people find you uh you can find us on facebook so we have a facebook page we have um our website the healing house uh, and newbeginnings.org uh you can you know google us mm-hmm. um so, you know, or you can Google anything if you want to have more information. Um, there's been lots of articles and interviews done on the Healing House and New Beginnings. So if you Google us, you can you can tap into any of those articles or actually um, they've done some things, um, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it on camera or whatever interviews. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep, you can any any of those ways. Are there any women that would not be a good candidate for your healing house yeah so we 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 do not accept um uh if you if um people with sexual offenses so if you've had a sexual offense against a child or an adult Mm. uh you you can't we cannot accept you here Mm. um uh, we can probably get you some information though on a place that could 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 help you and then um also habitual violent offenders we 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 cannot we have a really good working relationship with the department of corrections so our local pmp office we have a partnership with them Um, we have a really good relationship with the community supervision center um, up in fulton and and we work with them Um, we we have the availability if somebody has a doc number to be able to get a really good thorough background um, because we have releases that work within uh, the Healing House and New Beginnings and the Department of Corrections. So we do background checks on everybody who comes in um, and we just, you know, there's some people that have to be weeded out because we have, we've made a commitment to our community that we're going to be safe. Boundaries, be safe. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you all are affiliated with a, a, a national organization or two, right? We are. We are an accredited recovery residence through the Missouri Coalition of Recovery Support Providers. Um, and so we have actually been accredited. I think the Healing House got its first accreditation back in... I believe it was 2016. And so right now, all of our houses are accredited through uh, MoCrisp. Yep. Mm. Uh, I didn't even know this organization existed. So all of this is uh, uh, really fascinating and new and so uh, helpful to know about to for people to refer to you and, uh, and your powerful work. Um, can you tell us how many people have gone through commencement so far? About? Oh, golly. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I could but there's probably, I want to say at least 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe 25 people now that have actually commenced the year-long program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just tell you, a year is but a humble, a humble yet beautiful beginning, but it's only a beginning. So you have to take what you've learned here and then you have to follow through with it out there. And that seems to be the harder part. I think, you know, people have asked me what our success rates are. And it's that kind of question a little bit unnerves me because I'm thinking, I don't know how you put, how you rate a person's life like that. Because when you come from the backgrounds that we come from, I mean, staying sober for three days is a success right. holding a job for a month is a success you know there's all these little successes that actually lead up to the bigger successes in the measurement of it you know well said. so I, yeah yeah well uh, heather i'm going to just tell folks again who you are and and your place uh this has been just a, a wonderful opportunity for me and and for our listeners to hear your story uh, I'm talking with Heather Geek, uh, Jefferson City, uh, founder of Healing House and New Beginnings, uh, a 501c3 uh, not-for-profit organization, uh, residential services, as well as training and teaching and opportunities for uh, work and volunteering and just the, the full meal deal. So once again, Heather, uh, thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to sign off with uh, my final <laughs> closing. Uh, friends, uh, please remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.